welcome back to Married with Children, the podcast. And it is a an early morning edition that we're recording this one. It'll come out here uh, in a couple of weeks. But very, very excited to have the guests that we have in studio. But first, as always, I am joined by my lovely and talented wife, Callie. How are you, Cal? Good. Doing all right. And uh, before we kind of introduce our guests today, I do want to thank our sponsors. Looking for a new tattoo? Looking for a professional piercer to add to your body art? There's no reason to drive to Indy or Louisville. Just visit Beauty from Ashes Tattoo Parlor in Crothersville, Indiana. Beauty from Ashes is located just past the Dollar General on Highway 31. Stop in and check out the amazing work done by all four artists at the shop. Each artist has a unique and personal style, but all do amazing work. The shop is family-friendly, so don't hesitate to bring your kids or loved ones with you when you stop by to get some ink. Check out all the artists' work on their Facebook page and book an appointment today with either Kyle, Martha, Billy, or Lily. You won't be disappointed. Beauty from Ashes Tattoo Parlor, Crothersville, Indiana. We've all heard horror stories about insurance companies and insurance agents. Let me tell you about my family's agent, Tommy Taylor. Tommy is an agent at Indiana Farm Bureau Insurance and is a multi-line agent that can keep all your insurance in one place. Why is a dedicated agent so important? When you have the unexpected occur, you'd much rather know the person on the other end of the phone. Contact info for Tommy, 812-372-4483 at extension 2447, or look him up on Facebook at Tommy Taylor, Indiana Farm Bureau Insurance. Don't be another horror story. Stop knocking on wood and relying on a 1-800 number. Trust Tommy Taylor today. Miller's Termite and Pest Control is the only place you need to look for pest control. Don't get roped into contracts or high prices with the big companies. Reach out to someone who cares about you. They can handle any problem from termites, bed bugs, ants, spiders, etc. They also do lawn care. Where else can you keep the bugs out of your house and your yard looking sharp? Reach out to them today on Facebook at Miller's Termite and Pest Control. Email at pest underscore n underscore peace at yahoo.com or by phone at 812-767-5657. All right. And today in studio, this is extremely exciting. And we were just talking before we went on air about all the different people that we've had on this podcast. And our goal starting this podcast was to to talk to unique people with great stories. And today is definitely one of those. Um, as we have uh, Jackie and Dutch, or Gypsy Moon and the Dutchman, correct? <laughs> mm-hmm. And they are the king and the queen of the hobos. And so I just want to say welcome to both of you, and thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, a pleasure. Um, I'm not the reigning queen of the hobos. I was elected queen in 1990. Okay. After the Book of Oral Histories came out, the hobos honored me with that. Uh, queens can be elected because of the contribution they make, not because they're rail riders, although I have been a rail rider a lot of my life. The kings, that's an entirely different story. They have to really be living on the road. All right. And let's start here because I think this is really important because I don't. I think that a lot of people, unless, especially the younger generation, doesn't truly understand what a hobo is. Because it is a hobo is totally different, and and I appreciate you sending me some research beforehand. But the idea of like a hobo, a tramp, and a bum are totally different things, and we don't want to confuse those. So, can you kind of explain what those differences are? Well, the hobo, per se, which they don't really exist anymore, is a, a person who travels the country, low income, riding freight trains, or 
uh, walking, whatever, mm. uh, and working as they go along. Rarely would a real hobo uh, beg or bum or steal or anything like that. Where uh, tramps, that refers to people who do a lot of walking and hitchhiking and whatnot. And it's it can be a, a kind of a derogatory term. It includes people that will do a lot of begging and whatnot. And a bum is basically the the drunk that lives under the bridge. <laughs> yeah, and I, I the one I looked it up and was doing some research, it said hobos wander and work and tramps wander and dream and bums don't work at all. Oh, that, was, <laughs> that was the one thing I found that kind of... Which sounds about like, I mean, just what he described. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's where I think, you know, the idea, especially even for me, something I had never really studied about the hobo culture was there is an entire culture behind this. It is not just, you know, this just random collection. I mean, there is a culture, there's a, a code of ethics. So can you tell us a little bit about what the culture is that's behind it? Well, can I start off, Dutch? Mm, um, the hoboing era began after the Civil War. A lot of those men were used to weathering the elements. Um, they were strong young men. And when the war ended, they needed jobs. And the jobs at that time were on the railroads. The railroads were veining their way across America. And hobos took those jobs. And they learned where the trains went, as they did. And as they were carried farther and farther out into the West, they began to realize there were a lot of other jobs besides laying track or being a telegrapher. And they met people along the way as they camped out. They, they met um, farmers and contractors. And a lot of them began to put together a work circuit for themselves. And some of them even followed that same work circuit, like my father, who was a hobo for 17 years, followed pretty much the same work circuit. Uh, working down south and uh, picking fruit in the wintertime and construction work up north other times. He was a vaudeville entertainer, so he picked up work that way. So it started after the Civil War, and it spanned through the Great Depression, but it sort of died out at that time because during the Depression, there were thousands and thousands of men and women who were jumping on freight trains trying to find work. Mm -hmm. um, now, that doesn't mean that the hoboing era ended because we had a lot of great old-timers. I'll let Dutch explain what a bridger is, who was a bridger, um, who were bridgers. and um, uh, But it began to die out. And like Dutch said, as far as working bows go, and I've interviewed these guys for 30 years, there are he's probably the last man standing that I know of and that he knows of. And, and Dutch explained to me, what what is a bridger? A bridger just simply refers to someone who was alive and riding trains during the steam train era and still rode them after the, the, the diesel trains came along. Okay. Yeah, oh, wow. I would say that uh, the hobo vernacular or the tramp vernacular is a lot like a, any profession. Like electricians, they have a, a word for everything. Right. And if you listen to them talk, you can't really figure out what they're <laughs> saying. And it would be the same if you were talking to a couple of the old bows. They would be talking basically in code. 
And, and wow. one thing I did want to say, one of the things I saw is hobo comes from hopping boxcar, correct? Is that true? It's one of the theories. It's debatable. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's fair. Some say it comes from homeward bound. Some okay. say it comes from a hobo who carried um, uh, a, a, a bindle. Hoe. A oh. hoe on their back. Gotcha. Uh, and it's a, a bow. A, a bow like brother or bow. Oh, okay. 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 Gotcha. So so there we really don't know where hobo came from. Is it from. like a regional thing? Like, I mean, is it just kind of whatever anybody's... Yeah. Whatever story you've heard. Yes, yes. And and I want to say... I would say it's th- a combination of all those things rolled into one. I, yeah. I would agree. Yeah. And I, I wanted to point out something else about um, hobo and tramp. Uh, in the last few decades, hobo and tramp has sort of become synonymous. So often Dutch refers to himself as a tramp or his friends as tramps. But he he is a working bow. Mm-hmm. And he's a licensed electrician. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So, I mean, do you, I mean, I'm sure you use that as you travel. Yeah, that's I mean, is the that reason what, for it. Okay. To, it, to it's find. a good profession for a, a traveler because... I spent most of my youth tra- traveling the country chasing disasters. And okay. it was the profession that I really took to. I didn't have to carry a lot of stuff with me. Okay. Uh, there wasn't a, an overwhelming a, a number of people who could do that job. And I just kind of took a, a real liking to it. And it paid well. And now I'm worried because I told him before he walked in that I wired the whole place. So he's, <laughs> We might need him to check it out. <laughs> he's he's going to be checking me. So when you're in a... Uh, an electrician does that i mean is that um it doesn't go you're not licensed state by state or anything no, uh, is it? it it becomes irrelevant uh because uh, a profession like an electrician if you walk onto a job site like where they're building a new house or something right you can't bull your way through it you actually have to know what you're doing or yeah. they'll know immediately yeah that you're <laughs> faking it yeah <laughs> okay and dutch how did you how, how did you get into this life, if you can tell us well, the that's, story? Well, that's one of them stories where it would take a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it it's basically has to do with, uh, I had a really bad childhood and started running off when I was really young, trying to escape violence and, and craziness in the house. And uh, ended up riding a freight train on accident, just hiding in a boxcar, and they moved the train. Scared the daylights out of me. I was going to say, that had to be terrifying yeah. as a kid. Yeah. Well, not only that, the door, it was a boxcar, and the door slid most of the way shut. And so after several hours of being locked in this boxcar, I could see outside, but I, I couldn't get out the door. I was screaming my full head off, and when they opened the door, because they heard me, the, it was it was a sheriff and two railroad workers, and they seen it was this little kid, and I was bawling and carrying on, and they just thought that was the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, they probably had no idea what they were getting ready to open the door to. Yeah, they didn't know. <laughs> had no, and I'm sure I sounded like a cat that somebody had stepped on. <laughs> and and he was ten years old. He oh, ran wow. away yeah. on his tenth birthday after he was abused. And you ended up how many miles from home well, when I, they found you? I ran off in Modesto, California, and it was Bakersfield, but I thought I was in Mexico. Oh, wow. And, and did they take you back home after that? <laughs> they, they tried to. They took me in a, in, a, in a crummy or a caboose back up to Modesto. But uh, I was terrified because my stepdad was going to get his hands on me. Right. And basically, 
before that point, the only way I was surviving was out running him. But I knew I was in in some serious trouble, and they let allowed me to go into the bathroom when they got to the station, and I crawled out the window and just kept on running after that. And you've been you've been living on your own and Pretty on the much. road. Yeah, they. When I was young, they put me in uh, foster homes. They put me with an uncle for a little while, but I would never stay very long. Wow. And then you said you, you started out chasing disasters and, and doing disaster work. So, like, on a, on a when you were doing that, how long did you typically stay in an area? A month, maybe, you know, maybe two at the very most. It usually doesn't take that, that long to either – for me to wear out my welcome so to speak <laughs> or to get bored with it or tired of it mm-hmm. and is that part of the the draw for you is the fact that you're not tied to one location if you get tired of that well that space? It, it's what i became used to gotcha gotcha dutch is what the hobo community and broader than that would call an urban survivalist he doesn't use money it's very very rare for him to buy anything he scavengers for everything food clothes gear boots he has the best gear it takes him forever to get it but he does so how do you learn those skills? I mean, obviously, it's just survival. But well, I it's mean, not something you can learn. You can well, you can learn it, but nobody can teach you. Uh-huh. It's it's something you have to learn from experience and spending a few nights cold and wet to learn how to stay warm and dry. Yeah, you, you the the suffering makes you you have yeah. to adapt right. and figure out. And when it comes to scavenging and whatnot, it, you have to learn about what dumpsters are. are liable to give you something that you can put to good use and which of them are just nasty and full of maggots and all kinds of weird stuff Hmm. and it's just experience is it is it amazing to you and what americans throw away that is still usable crazy you have no idea i'm sure (laughs) it is feed an army from any any we were in amory not long ago and mississippi yeah in mississippi at this railroad festival and i was pulling in more than enough food to feed everybody that was there we were filling freezers yeah Yeah. well half the town it could have been fed we were filling freezers full of meat and all kinds of vegetables and all kinds of everything we were started we had so much stuff we started making jelly and canning stuff and just to preserve it and keep and keep things frozen and whatnot Trays wow. and trays of strawberries that he canned and or made jam out of, and, and syrups and all uh-huh. kinds of stuff. And and these were found in the dumpsters, thrown out. Some of them were still frozen, and uh, and not outdated. Yeah. Uh, they were close to, you know, like their yeah. their mark. But it was great food, and he's a fabulous cook, just an amazing cook, and loves to cook. And so he was feeding all the hobos that showed up. I think there were about 30 of us somewhere. And and I'm sure that when you say you love to cook, that's got to be <clears throat> that's got to be really cool that because it's not like I'm going to make spaghetti, I'm going to go get this. You kind of get to create with whatever you can find yeah. and whatever you have. Yeah, and uh it also it's a matter of there ain't nobody else going to cook for me and <laughs> yeah. it's too expensive to try to be eating in restaurants. So you kind of learn over years how to make the food 
edible. <laughs> I mean, then I, this may be a stupid question. Like, do you just cook over like a campfire? A lot of times. Sometimes I, I'll carry a small uh, survival stove in my okay. bag. Okay. Okay. Every morning at around 4 or 4.30, wherever he is on a, a, a grain car or a box car, he gets out a stove and he makes coffee. And he will only drink seattle number five yeah he's very picky about his coffee (laughs) so not not picky about a lot of things but but that's the the one thing i will spend money on is is my coffee grounds and um the other night we fixed pork um pork tenderloins on the grill and my sister and i ate ours the way we like them not too overdone Dutch said, I've got to cook mine. I have to really cook it well done. And I said, doesn't it taste tough? He said, keep in mind, I get things out of the dumpster right. and recook it so that it's safe to eat. Right. And he's very good at those kind of health things. He knows. I wondered about that. I thought because you're probably used to, yeah, making sure that things are, you know, edible, like as far as even healthy, you know, health to avoid sickness or whatever, any of that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, and after you've done that, a and long so that's time, what you're used to. Yeah. So anything else doesn't taste right. To yeah. Me. Yeah. I, it's, can see that. I would say it brings a little bit of anxiety when you mm. taste something that's not yeah. been been cooked like that. And um, <clears throat> I don't want you to you know give away anything, obviously. But what all do you what do you carry in your pack typically? Like what what do you feel like you just, have to have? Just the basics. Uh, uh, you always got to maintain a really nice sleeping bag. Some kind of tarp. Nowadays, I carry a really high-tech tarp. These uh, high, these polyester tarps that you can get in, in sporting goods stores. Um, usually a small stove, my coffee, uh, all, plenty of water bottles, the Nalgene water bottles. Mm-hmm. Carry four or five of those because you always need lots of water. The idea about riding a train is no matter how well you think you got them figured out, you can end up stranded in the middle of nowhere for days. So the very basics to survive for several days and live out of your pack is is pretty much the most important thing. Yeah, and when I think that's a that's a really interesting point yeah. because when you get on that train, you're right. You don't know how many days it may be until you can replenish your supplies, and wow. you kind of got to be prepared for anything. Yeah, and. You know, I've been doing it for so long that it rarely happens, but you still go prepared. So, and when you get to a, and, and I guess I should ask this because we talked a little bit about those, the hobos building that circuit. Do you kind of have a circuit or is it just kind of? Well, nowadays, uh, you know, we, we talked that the hobos don't exist anymore, but it's not exactly true. The old hobos don't exist anymore. There's a crowd of youngsters out there that are living in the shadows of America. Uh, and most of them are out there for the same kind of reasons that I was out there when I was young. Mm-hmm. We call them grunge kids or dirty kids. And those are the kids, you'll see them from time to time. They have lots of tattoos, uh, dreadlocks. It's white kids with dreadlocks kind of thing. And uh, they normally will have a dog with them. They're really dirty. But you can tell just by their appearance that they came from the trains and that they don't, they're not part of the homeless crowd in any, in any one place. There are thousands of those kids out there. From Is there? 11, 12 years old on up to 
in their early 20s. Well, and beyond, but uh, the grunge yeah. kids and the and they aren't offended by those terms. I wondered if I was going to say I wondered if there were no. many of the young like younger generation so that they've kind of got a new name for them, I guess. Yeah, yeah, the names change over time. It it's years ago when I was young, we're called dirty kids. Okay. And then it went to grunge kids, punk kids. Uh, for a while there, they were all called Flintstone kids, which I really like that term. <laughs> Too funny. <laughs> but as time went on, now it's all started over again, and it's back to dirty kids and grunge kids. <laughs> okay. We were with two of them in Amory, and it was just amazing. One girl said, oh, no, we try to be, we want to be dirty. We don't shower. We don't brush our teeth. And and some of the older people at the festival were going, because you don't have a toothbrush or toothpaste? And they said, oh, no, it's just our culture. Wow. Really? Wow. Well, and part of it is, uh, excuse me, uh, some of these kids, they're just teenagers. And like an attractive young girl that's out there on the road like that, mm. she could be in a lot of danger. So they're going to extremes to make themselves seem very unappealing. Interesting. Okay. And can you talk a little bit, and, and Jack, you can probably talk more historically, but when we talk about that, even there, when you meet people on the road, what is kind of the code? I mean, because obviously, you know, there, you don't want to meet someone, I mean, that, that can cause you harm, and there's obviously dangers on the road at all times, but what is kind of the code among... You know, you travelers. Well, let, let, let me uh, just preface this by saying <clears throat> there are very few men or women I would ever jump a freight with, even over the last 25 years. <clears throat> Some of them you learn are very principled and honest and hardworking, um, but they're tough. I mean, Dutch can seem like a sweetheart, but I'll tell you, I've heard rumors that when he's in danger, you get out of his way. <laughs> so I just want to say that about Dutch before we begin, because I had the opportunity in January. I haven't jumped freights for a long, long time. But when Dutch became king, I said to him, is there any chance we could go on a rail ride together? Because I trusted him. And he said, no, I don't encourage such things. I said, okay. And... Uh, and you want to tell the rest of that and then answer that Well, question. after she pestered me for a while. <laughs> <laughs> you figured out. <laughs> well, I, I, I told her, if, if you think you can really put up with living this lifestyle the way I do it, uh, basically carrying everything you own with you, being outdoors 24-7, living off of what you can find, and uh, being in inner city areas where people aren't that friendly and all that kind of thing, then come on and... <laughs> Yeah, we arranged it. <laughs> we, um, uh, I picked him up in Baton Rouge on New Year's Eve, mm -hmm. and we rode until the end of January. We didn't ride trains all that much because it was cold. We did ride, but we lived on the rails. We slept on boxcars. We um, did all that stuff. So I got to see from the inside out kind of what life is like for somebody that's a long-term, lifelong rail rider or hobo worker but the code well i first i'd say that uh, for an adult to just like get laid off from their job for instance and then go and try to live this lifestyle 
that's a fool's errand. That's not going to happen. It wouldn't be comfortable. I've been doing it so long that it's like second nature to me. And over all this time, I've kind of learned to recognize all the telltale things about the people I encounter out there. And for the most part, I, I pretty much uh, avoid everybody. And I'll spend weeks, sometimes a month or more, not talking to anybody. Just kind of living my life out there and floating from place to place. And also, after all this time, I've gotten to know a lot or know a lot of people that are out there, and I meet new ones through them. And that's kind of how it's done. Uh, there are certain places and certain times of the year where a bunch of us will get together, and through word of mouth, and we have little little sayings about this kind of thing we'd, we'd say stuff like we're better connected than AT&T <laughs> we don't even have a phone <laughs> but that's how we learn about things and we'll learn about you know uh, did you hear about this person or did you know do you know this person's moniker or, you know all this stuff and you just kind of collect information as you go and marks you see monikers are the hobo name and they all have a mark so as we traveled we saw a number of hobo marks and and i know that that was some of the things i saw too were the and throughout the history was the signs and symbols and markings to kind of let you know whether things were safe or whether there was dangers around and do you see any of that still that, that doesn't exist anymore uh the marks I'm talking about now are actual physical names, uh, monikers. It'd be it's all nicknames and whatnot, but people write it, and then I've been out there long enough that I recognize most of them. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like I do a moon and a star, and he does a very iconic-looking the Dutchman with railroad tracks under it, and and. Cool. The rail riders and the young kids and everybody, or just rail buffs, begin to recognize those and know who they right. are. How is over over the time, Dutch? How is that relationship? And obviously, the the railroads don't want you doing this, but how has that relationship kind of shifted back and forth during your time? Is I mean, has it always been this real, you know, kind of butting heads against each other? Is there no uh, the and what you're talking about there is the railroad police or the railroad bulls. Uh, they're kind of, um, um, well, first of all, I'd say that in any group of people, they're like 20 nuns in a convent. <laughs> At least two of them are assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, you, and the trick to life is to avoid them two nuns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's my a, apologies <clears throat> to my church, St. Mary's. You learn over time which bull, and they'll introduce themselves. You know, you can't avoid them forever, eventually. But then I've been out there so long that I've built up a reputation of, of being kind of slippery. And so over the last several years, there's a bunch of the railroad police that have got a bet running to see which one will catch me first. <laughs> one of his favorite sayings is, you can't stop what you can't catch. He's always been a very fast runner and hiker, and um, but you can't, you can't stop what you can't catch. Yeah, I, I call it the zen of train riding. You learn to blend in with the trains and, mm -hmm. and the, your environment around you. 
And also another little saying is that a good hobo is never seen. So yeah, it's, you're not even. They don't even know you've been there. Yeah, and and, and there's no none of that uh, standing in a boxcar waving at cars yeah. as they go by. We <laughs> right. call we call them cellular police. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the people in yeah, cars yeah. that call you in, yes. And you know the other thing I think, and and correct me if I'm wrong. Part of that hobo culture is. You guys aren't destroying things. You're not leaving oh, trash behind. That's that's part of that, which you don't even be seen. Zero trace is is a very strong principle. Except some of these new kids, they're so antisocial. They just love trashing everything. It's just they're making a statement. But uh, for the most part, especially the older guys, uh, yeah, that it's not really tolerated. And pissing off the locals is not a good idea. Right. Yeah. And uh, Dutch is what we call an old school hobo, as opposed to the younger kids, mm-hmm. the dirty kids. And when you talked about, you know, a lot of times you're, you know, an urban survivalist, you're in the inner city. Is that really where it's changed for you over time, too? Because, like, before we came on, obviously a, a train came through town here and you said, oh, I hear a train. It's very difficult to hit rural areas to find work, isn't it? Or I, I wouldn't even bother for the most part. Uh, finding work is kind of like just making yourself apparent and that's part of the the trick to uh, chasing disasters what just going places where you know they're going to be looking for somebody to hire temporarily right mm-hmm. um flying a sign your listeners will be familiar with the will work for food sign mm-hmm. yeah dutch will not do that a lot of the dirty kids do that um, Dutch will fly a sign that says, uh, looking for an honest day's work, no handouts, please. And just like that, he'll have somebody stop and take him home and let him do some yard work or ele- electrical work. And the strange thing about that kind of sign is people will still insist on giving you money. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, if you insist on not taking it, they'll trick you. They'll put like five dollars in a McDonald's bag and say, "Here's some hamburgers." Really, <laughs> even though they don't take him home and give him work. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's you know, I think that's a really cool part of of your story, Dutch, and and that culture is that you again and going back to the difference between the hobo and the bum, you want to work. You're not asking just to to have a handout. You you're looking for work. I don't know how people beg it it just doesn't make i can't wrap my brain around it i never have been able to figure that out it feels weird to me right well and and i would think too that you know part of your you know the health you have and and being able to outrun people and and staying in the shape you are is because you're working you're not sitting there on the side of the road i carry all my belongings on my back (laughs) yeah large backpack and i do a lot of walking yeah i refuse to get on buses or you know, if I get into a town on a train and the next yard to where I'm going is clear across town, then I walk it. He won't hitchhike. Oh, I refuse to hitchhike either. That's, that's just asking for trouble. Yeah. So what do you think, and I, we kind of talked about people, what do you think the the most or the biggest dangers you face are? The biggest dangers? Well, um, it depends on what you would mean by danger. Um Danger is not that hard to avoid. So the real danger is uh, doing something that I shouldn't have been doing in the first place. Like I got on the wrong train and I got left out in the middle of the desert. 
that puts me in a dangerous situation or deciding that I was going to take a shortcut and I'm walking through the wrong part of town mm -hmm. or you know, just simple things like that. But for the most part, it's, it's not any more dangerous than, you know, being a truck driver or anything like that. But I think what you just said is a is a really interesting point. That's again, it's the reason why I wanted to do these shows is what you just said is a is a tale for life for all of us that I think we we face dangers because we get comfortable and we don't take the preparation to make sure we keep ourselves out of those situations. What you just said is make sure I get on the right train. Don't take the shortcut where I don't know what's coming. Everything about what you just said was preparation beforehand. I think a lot of times with the comforts of life and all the things that we have and the, you know, the ease of things, we don't prepare ourselves and make sure that we know what, what we're walking ourselves into. So I think that's a great, you know, idea for life that all of us can learn from. Um, I totally agree. Dutch is obviously very bright. He never went to school. Uh, except, you know, occasionally a boys' school or something. But he listens to the news and NPR. He uh, reads the classics. You can ask him just about anything about any classic. But he knows what's going on. He's hyper aware of what's going on, not only around him, but in the country. He was jumping freights along the Mexican border, making his way down to where we were going to meet in Baton Rouge. <clears throat> and it was during all of the policing of the border. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he realized he needed to reroute himself because there were special agents, you know, watching every train. And they even walked up to you once. Twice. And, twice. <laughs> and so he realized the smart thing to do was to get away yeah. from that area. <clears throat> yeah, because you could get yourself caught up in something that you're not even yeah, a part of. Yeah, you don't of. even have anything to do with. Well, yeah. the, mm -hmm. the, the Border Patrol has a habit of stopping the trains out in the middle of nowhere and throwing basically everybody off the train, whether you be illegal or not. And, but I've learned a, a neat little trick about that. What I'll do is when they stop the train, and I know it's the Border Patrol coming, I'll get off the train and sit next to it with my gear. And when they get close to me, I'll just holler, I was born in Deadwood, South Dakota. <laughs> and, but I'm not on the train, they, so they can't tell me, get off the train. <laughs> so. so they just keep on going. And then I get back on the train. <laughs> really too far. And D Dutch's life has been much different since August when he became king because he's he's been much more high profile. A lot of interviews, um, the Smithsonian Magazine. So um, I suggested to him that he run some copies of the Smithsonian article and keep it in his backpack. And now the, the kids' book that we've, we've come up with, that's all over uh, Facebook and on the internet now. And so you, yeah, so you're getting a lot more, you know, publicity and people knowing who well, you are. I was already kind of well known in the traveling community, but now I'm becoming well known on the other side of, of society, the citizen side. <laughs> and to talk about the king of the hobos, I know we kind of touched on it earlier, and you said that it has to be. You know, on the male side, you have to be a rail rider. How does that process work? How do they decide who is the king of the hobos? 
let me preface that by saying what the queen is, since that's what I am. Uh, the queen of the hobos can be elected. The National Hobo Convention is held in Britt, Iowa in August. It's been held there since the year 1900. Before that, it was in Chicago. And um, they weren't um, they weren't really accepted in Chicago. So Britt invited them to come there and they actually hosted them. They said, come in August, and when the convention's over, stay and help us uh, uh, harvest our crops. So that's how it ended up in Brit. <clears throat> that's bought- really cool that they took that and said, mm-hmm. we could use this help. Let's let's build this out to where it, hel- it, it helps the community and, you know, this festival. Exactly, and we've had a strong relationship with Brit. So, um, uh uh, that's where the king and queen has always been elected. The queen can be elected because she's made a significant contribution to the hobo community. They're very organized. They have they started one of the first unions, un, uh, tourist union number 63 years and years ago. They have council meetings. This is like a real convention. And then on the last day, they elect the new king and queen. And... Like I said, the queen can just be um, elected because of something good she's done. The king has to really prove to a committee of rail riders that they've really lived the life for some significant period of time. Dutch was the dark horse this year. No one expected him to win. It was my first time at Brett. Ever. So the first time you showed up and you were elected. I've been aware of it for 20 years, and I've had numerous friends that have gone to brett and we've always discussed it around our fires and out in the woods and whatnot as if we don't show up once in a while and and run for the king then somebody that's not qualified to be the king of the hobos like is going to end up with right and there are a lot of people that would take advantage of the title recreational hobos people that just enjoy jumping a freight and that's honestly who I am. <laughs> right. And, and where do you, how, so every year do they elect a new king or, mm-hmm. but can you run again if you come to Brit again? After a couple of years I could, but I'm not going to. It's, it's just, it's a one-time honor for yeah. you. And, I have, I have friends that have, have run multiple times and become king over and over again, but that's not my thing. Because once a king or a queen, you're always you always retain that title. Gotcha. Okay. So I can always say I'm a queen of the hobos, and I would never run again because there are so many women that do so much and deserve it and want it. So. And tell us a little bit. You guys did bring in some books, and I know you have um, the Legend of Bo Bear. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how this came about and what this book is? Okay, so um, when I after Brett, when he was elected king, he came to me because of my other book and said, I'd like to have somebody write my life story. And I said, well, that wouldn't be me because I just retired and I don't want to take on a major project. Well, some of my friends kept encouraging me and the publisher of the Smithsonian article actually encouraged me. So I said to Dutch, let's at least do some interviews. I won't promise a book. 
And so we met in Chicago near a friend's house of mine. I stayed there. I got him a cheap motel, and I interviewed him nonstop from like 5 in the morning. He falls asleep at 7, so we had to stop at around 6.30 because he's just like nodding off. And I got a lot of his story. Came home and started to organize it, and I said, Dutch, I can't do this. It's too much. I just can't. Plus... It's very emotional um, to see what somebody's gone through and Mm -hmm. to hear your life story and your childhood. I said, I just maybe someday or maybe we can find someone. Then at Christmas, I found this giant polar bear, stuffed polar bear at a a junk store for like $3. So I put a bandana on him and a hobo at heart button and got on my hobo vest and my sister Denise took us to the B&O boxcar in North Vernon and got a picture taken for Christmas. I sent it out to all my friends as my Christmas card. And Dutch texts me back and said, now you know that's not a polar bear. He's a great storyteller. Not a polar bear. That's a pizzly. It's a cross between a grizzly and a polar. He said, read about it. And, and actually, his <laughs> name's Bo Bear. And, um, and he was born in Canada, and he and his mom scavenge, and he starts taking off on this great story. So every, every day, he'd call and tell me a little bit of it, and that night, I'd type it up. And he works a lot of his life story into this, but what it really does is it tells the young reader and adults about hobo culture, the culture of the walking stick, the responsibilities of king and queen. Dutch, as a hobo king, um, has the power vested in him to dub someone with a road name that welcomes them into the community. For example, my sister doesn't know this, but by the time this airs, she will. He's going to dub her with a road name, which I've planned for years, but I wanted a real king to do it. Yeah. And she can't come to Brit because she's working in August <laughs> yeah. as a teacher. And, so, and we want to keep her doing that. <laughs> for my other my other uh, passion, I, I, I want to make sure she stays with me for a while. <laughs> I know. You're her principal. Um <laughs> So, and we're going to dub her with the road name North Star because as a teacher and as a person and as a pastor and as a lover of young people, she is kind of the true North for Mm -hmm. them. She tries so hard to point them in the right direction. So we thought North Star would be perfect. She'll get a document from Dutch, signed by Dutch and from me. Uh, proclaiming her North Star and welcoming her into the hobo community. Wow. That is that is so cool. And I, I would say this, um, it, that is the perfect name for your sister, Denise, because she's been with me now for a year, and I do not know how we were so blessed to get her, and, and I mean this, and I'll say this on here, and I would say it to her, to get her to be on our staff and come to, to the high school with us, but she is one of the best human beings I have ever been around. Mm-hmm. And that is 100% the truth. And, um, I, she is, she's made my year just getting to talk to her. And, and even, even this, I mean, even when you were on the, uh, the road with Dutch and, and the rails with Dutch, she was constantly sending me your updates and I got to read them and, and she'd stop by my office in the morning and said, did you see the new one? I'm like, oh, my gosh, yes. And it was so cool to follow along. And, and that's why I was so excited about getting this opportunity um, to, to talk to you guys. So, 
so this is um, this is kind of a a you know a, a young adult or kid book um, for them to kind of understand the lifestyle as well. From about eight years old on up through adults, uh, I think would enjoy the story. It's a very compelling story. That's awesome. It, it is. It does have you know a little realism in it. It's, a couple parts are really sad and whatnot. We try not to to pretty it up too awful much. And it reflects Dutch's life. It's a way of sort of sneaking his story in there in bits and pieces without making it so harsh. <clears throat> and, and another thing about it was what made, <coughs> occurred to me and made me think that this was the way to write a, a story. When we were at Brett, uh, like Gypsy gives away walking sticks and these little coats and whatnot. And I noticed right away that the kids are like, What's this? What do I do with this? They didn't understand. They had no clue what it was all about. And they were like having sword fights and they were, you know. With the sticks. <laughs> and there was, there's this thing about signing all the jackets and signing for, you know, the old hobos to sign in on their, on their clothing and their sticks. But the kids are, they didn't have a clue. They didn't know what was going on. And this kind of gives them some way to relate to it because all of that stuff's talked about in there. Hmm. Wow. So now, you said you've been to Brit, obviously, the first time. You're the dark horse. Will you go back this August? To... I have to. Okay. You have to, yeah. So yeah. you have to be there to kind of pass the torch yeah. to the next. He reigns this year. He reigns through the convention. And on Saturday, the last day of the convention, a new king and queen is elected, and he will crown that king. Gotcha. And the new queen, Crash, will crown the new queen. All right. So... Let's talk a little bit about the Queen Crash. What what was her contribution, or what has she done that that put her in that that ability? Uh, she ran because she's actually ridden trains. Okay. Uh, she's a a young woman, probably. I don't know, twenty seven, twenty. Yeah, has a, a a little boy that we call Little Monkey. So he was part of the appeal. The crowd loved her, her and her son together. And, uh, and she's taken the role seriously. She talks in schools, and Dutch has visited hobos who were dying and uh, who have been ill. And uh, so they actually have this role that they assume throughout the year. Okay. Wow. They, they're, they're the spokespeople for our community. Okay. Which none of that's required. I talked to some of the former kings right as I was being elected. And ask them, well, what is this entitled? What am I supposed to do? And they, they, all of their responses were, it's what you make of it. Very, very cool. Yeah. Dutch has decided to declare August 10th. August 10th is National Hobo Day. There you go. We don't have Congress behind us, but we got the king <laughs> of the hobos. We got Facebook. We got Facebook and the king go. of the hobos. And you know what? In today's society, that's about all you need. Yeah. Really. yeah. <laughs> so, what... Dutch, where do you see the future of hobos? When we talked about the dirty kids and the grunge kids, do you see it continuing? I mean, obviously, you're the, like we said, you're the last real working bow. Where do you see it kind of going? Well, I would say that that depends on where the economy goes. Mm -hmm. uh, it ebbs and flows the number of people that are wandering around the country and taking advantage of the trains and if the economy is doing really well and gas prices aren't real high, then most people 
that go to wandering will end up uh, in vehicles traveling around what we call rubber tramping. Um, if the economy goes to hell, then of you see course, more on the rails. Yeah, there'll be a lot more on the rails. And people, if they can't find a job in their area and they end up wandering, especially young people that, that are healthy enough and adventurous enough to be actually riding freight trains, which I don't encourage such things at all. It's dangerous. You can go to jail for it. Uh, if you get in a lot of trouble doing it, then you know you can never work for the railroad. There's all kinds of things, reasons to think twice before you get on a freight train. <clears throat> but I would say that uh, there'll always be people that that suffer from the opposite of homesick. We call it far lust. There's always going to be people that want to wander and, and want to go on an adventure. And for such people as that, you just mentioned a freight train, and they're ready to go. <laughs> well, <laughs> and and you it can't was, stop them. It was very genuine, even though we were joking before we came on, when you heard the train. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that, you know, Gypsy, you, you said, hey, stay, stay, stay. But stay it was very genuine. I mean, that was a sound that, that yeah. really struck a chord in your heart because it, it does mean that – the next thing is out there, you know, and I thought that was really genuine to see you enjoy hearing that sound. Well, it's more than just enjoying it, too. It's my brain has trained itself yeah. to be aware of, of the trains because a lot of times that's my only way away from an area. So being mm-hmm. able to hear and know and and, and follow the follow, sound yeah. and, and figure out how to, to find the proper place to get on a train. Plus, it helped when you had two railroad signs at your front entry. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah as he soon felt as, right at home. As soon as they got out of the car, Gypsy said, he feels right at home because the railroad signs yeah. are right there. <laughs> Forgot <laughs> so, about that. Yeah, I, b- bringing you in. But uh, <laughs> what? Um, I guess the other thing I would ask you, Dutch, is what? what's one of the best memories that you've had of this life? Because... I also I know we've talked about the dangers and the mm-hmm. and the tough times and the things, but obviously this is this is what you've chosen. Like we talked earlier, you're a licensed electrician. You could set up and and have a have a career and and do those kind of things and and be in a in one place. That's not what you what what you love. What well, you want to do. The far lust would pre- prevents that from happening. Right. So I, wh- I've tried. You, you okay? So you have tried it. Oh, just yeah. it. You, you have that desire. So what's some of the best memories you have over your lifetime of of riding the rails? Well, of actually being on the rails is the, the camaraderie. And it, there's multiple small stories of things that have happened that just made me think, well, it doesn't get any cooler than that. <laughs> um, most of them are, are, like, so simple that to most people they wouldn't even mean anything. Mm-hmm. And what's some of the most amazing places that you've been or visited? Well, that's another thing. It's, there's so multiple, but uh, there are places you can go on the trains. Like Tennessee Pass in Colorado uh, is an amazing place. There's the Deschutes Canyon in Oregon. It, there's places all over the country that are just cr- crazy beautiful, and there's no way to get there other than being on a train. The Feather River, for instance. He uh, has been in all 50 states. Really? And well, Mexico. no, 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 48. I mean, 48 states yeah. and Mexico and Canada. On trains. Wow. Wow. 
Now, when you're riding, like, you know, I mean, just riding on the train, do you have, I mean, is the door open to where you can see all I, of those? I rarely ride boxcars. Oh, okay. okay. Boxcars, an empty boxcar, especially the bigger ones, have a tendency to shake back and forth. Okay. Especially when the train gets going fast. Right. And it'll destroy your gear. It's very uncomfortable. Oh, okay. So unless the weather's really bad, I won't You won't, won't even bother. get in one of those. And uh, the railroad has figured out some real smart guy figured out that an open box car creates drag on a train they call it the parachute right. effect so it's rare to find an open box car these days i guess that's probably true they probably always keep them shut mm-hmm. just for that so what do you ride um the best ride is what what we call a lipped grainer that's okay. got a load in it that it, it, it's full of something grain mm-hmm. or right plastic pellets or whatever and it has a high lip across the back and there's a deck on the back of the car and once you're in that little area there's it's almost impossible to see it from the ground really and it won't shake because it's loaded and it's a much smaller car and then do you get a seat i mean so then you're still outside i mean people can't see you from the ground but you can kind of see the scenes Mm With no no window between you and the scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You got a oh, 360 yeah. degree view <laughs> yes. wherever you want to look. Yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah. I, I have to add one thing because we just haven't talked about it. But Dutch reminds my sister and I, I maybe because of his storytelling skills, of our father who was a hobo for 17 years, and the the reason one of the cool things about having Dutch here this week is we are celebrating. Denise and I are celebrating our father's 125th birthday on Sunday. So Dutch will be there to oversee that celebration. That is so cool. Right. And that's, that is, uh, it's, it's so amazing to me also, Gypsy, that you have been able to take, you know, what your father, your father being a hobo and make it your life's work as well and your passion and, um, be able to study it and, you know, contribute to that even in today's time i think that's an amazing accomplishment as well i feel Uh, good about that yeah (laughs) well we are at about almost an hour already um and i know you guys have a busy day um is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners about the hobo community or you know anything along those lines i can tell you what i learned from my uh, time rail riding that would be awesome hobos. <clears throat> I learned that we do not need 95% of what we own these guys literally live out of what they carry on their back mm-hmm. and they live off of what the rest of the country throws away we're very very privileged to have so much in this country my sister and I live in a little two room cabin on the river and uh, it's probably 600 square feet and we get along just fine but these guys when we look at them we think why do we need all this Mm. and i think um uh, dutch always says his motto is slow down and my motto has become do you have too much share it because that's what they do so that's what i'd like to say anything uh i would just say that uh um, don't assume that everybody out there is a bad guy. We're just humans. And like I said before, the, even the travelers, they're like 20 nuns in a convent. <laughs> <laughs>
You just got to find the right 18. Yeah. Avoid them too. Avoid those too. That's right. <laughs> so, and I just want to say that, and I mean this wholeheartedly to both of you, it was an absolute honor yeah. to have you guys here today. And, um, you know, and I, I just appreciate hearing your stories. Uh, I would love to continue hearing your stories. Dutch, if you're ever around um, I don't know how often you get around this area, but would love to continue hearing your stories. And uh, Well, uh, I, I'll say that I'm working on another book. Uh, it's what the young people call a zine. It's like a really small magazine. Mm-hmm. And I'm writing like little stories, little two-page short stories. And uh, I'll make sure you get a copy. Yeah, that would be, awesome. be awesome. And my sister has invited him back after Amory next year if his life allows him to come this way to do some more work for us that's great so yeah i um and anything we could ever do to help if if that's a a possibility we would be happy to and like i said i appreciate you both i i wish you the best uh as you continue to travel and and i will be honest um while i know deep down there's no way i could do what you do because i am way too conditioned to comfort and what I have, (laughs) there is a part of me that is very envious that I cannot because, you know, there are days that the grind of the same thing every day is I wish I could wake up somewhere else. We went to, we went to Virginia for, for spring break. And I, I remember one morning I got up early and was driving to the grocery store to get some things. And I was looking at the mountains as I was driving down the road. And I thought, man, my commute is nothing like this. And, and (laughs) I, But I I understand what you say, because I think after three or four weeks, I would take that for granted and it wouldn't mean anything anymore. So the ability to continue to move and see things, I think I'm I'm envious of, even though I know there's no way I could do it. Yeah, I would say that the first time you had to walk 12 miles in a single day and it's raining and it's cold. I'd be ready to come back home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People say Dutch doesn't hike mountains. He hikes mountain ranges. And that's true. He's walked 300 miles with his dog over a week's period. Well, so. a little longer than a week, but. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> so, and like wow. I said, I again appreciate it. And to all our listeners out there, um, I hope that you uh, you got to get a little bit of a, a lesson on the hobos and the hobo culture and um, just how wonderful you know, uh, people they are. And again, I, I love your you're saying that, you know, it is like 20 nuns in a convent. So you, you never know. <laughs> We're going to have to remember that one. <laughs> what, what you run into. So thank you. And uh, we wish you all the best. Thanks for your interest. Thanks for having us.